I want to talk about that for just a second, but before I do, uh, for those of you that are online or on the parking lot, you would have missed it, but when uh, Ben uh, uh, talked about the maskless option, the non-Christian section up in the top right <laughs> in our balcony just went, went crazy, so I didn't want you to miss that. But um, Mother's Day is a really interesting day. Uh, I didn't, you know, for, for my family, it's beautiful, right? I had three beautiful kids. Had, had great experiences, healthy kids. Um, but I am, we are fully aware that that's not everybody's experience. In fact, even in our own world, uh, we think a lot about uh, Sophie, our youngest's birth mom, on this day. Like for us, it's a, it's a moment of great, great joy. Great, great joy. And yet, uh, Sophie's birth mom is on her mind constantly today about this experience. Uh, some of you, this will be the first year that you are participating, celebrating, grieving Mother's Day after the loss of your mom or after the loss of your, your children's mom. And so while we want to celebrate, and we should, this is what's so neat about the scripture. Sorry, guys. Um, what's so neat is <laughs> Paul tells us, Jesus tells us that we should Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And those aren't at two separate instances. It's just the complication of our world and our life that we go, God is so good and so gracious and we celebrate him. And this world is so deeply flawed and broken and distorted and we grieve it. And today will be a day that we'll get to kind of navigate that tension to manage on the, in this world, the really good moments on the mountaintop and the deep pain in the valley. And here's just what I'll tell you. There is no healing without grieving. The Bible would point this out. Psychologists, psychiatrists would all point this out. And the thing is, you can't grieve alone. So this is just a space where we just have to acknowledge the pain and sorrow. We have to acknowledge the loss of children. We have to acknowledge that dreams have not been met. And John Piper says it better than I ever could. And he says occasionally, weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Feel the pain. Then wash your face. Trust God. And embrace the life that he's given you. So we're going to grieve together. And I just want to pray specifically while I want to celebrate. There's so much good in this. So much good in this day. And God gave us a beautiful gift to mothers. And yet we're going to just acknowledge the pain in that. And so this is one of those I usually say... Um, Hey, don't spectate while I pray. Would you pray as well? But for some of you, I would just say, would you just let me just pray over you? Like your pastor who loves you in this moment and wishes I could just place my hands on all of your shoulders. Can I just pray over you if you're in the middle of the grief of what you hoped would be? And so let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, um, I'm so thankful for my mother. Oh, and I'm so thankful for my wife. My children have a beautiful, lovely mother. I couldn't imagine a different world or a different plan. So thankful, God. And many of us are so, so thankful. Our hearts are overflowing with gratitude for this day. And yet, God, as we see today in Jesus' declaration that our world is distorted and it is flawed. And there is pain and sorrow in today. And so, God, just, you tell us that you can, Lord, and I'm just going to ask it specifically for those right now who just have some pain or sorrow if they're in the room or 
in the parking lot or driving down the road or sitting in their living room, God. You tell us that you, Jesus, provide a peace that passes all human comprehension. And God, even beyond that, you tell us that the God of peace will be with us. And so, God, I just want to pray very specifically, God, that your peace would land on every single heart that hears this prayer right now. And not just your peace, but God, with you, the God of peace, with your presence be deeply felt. And I'm not talking about tonight, God. I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm going right this second, Lord. Would you breathe in your peace over your people? And God, in right this second, would we experience that peace? Would we experience your presence? Oh, and would we give you credit, Lord? So God, we're going to Open up your scriptures and teach. And we're going to ask you to do what you always do, which is what you promised, God, that, that your word, when it goes out, when it's presented, will never return void. And God, we know that faith comes from hearing, and the hearing comes from your words, the word of Christ. And so, God, we're going to ask you to do something supernatural here, because you tell us whatever we ask in your name, you will do. And God, this is in your name and likeness. You tell us that you're the good shepherd and the sheep will know your voice. And so, God, would you just drown out all the other noise, God? And would we hear your peace, experience your presence, and hear your words and be changed because of it? God, for those who are skeptical on this, which many of us are, God, would this be a day where all of a sudden, for the first time, or for the loudest time, God, we experience you, not just hear you, not just with our head, but would there be some kind of roots that are dug deep into our hearts? As you usher in your presence, Jesus, you tell us in Revelation 3, that behold, you stand on the door, at the door and knock, and if anyone will open it, you'll enter and you'll dine with them, God. And so we invite you in. God, you are so gracious and kind and so loving, and you even respect our boundaries, God, that you are looking for an invitation. And so, God, I just pray that every single person who hears this prayer right now would have the courage to just go, Jesus, would you come in? So Jesus, would you come in? Would you have your way? Would you do what only you can do? And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for letting me pray over you with you. And I just would offer this. The Bible tells us really clearly at the, right before the, even the world got messed up, he tells us, he looks at humanity, he looks at Adam and goes, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. We just happen to believe the scriptures there. And so... I'm just offer to you, if you're brand new here, if you just happen to stumble upon this on Facebook, like, would you, would you let us know that you're struggling? Would you let us know that you're, would like some community? Would you just, just self-identify, have the courage, and please, 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 we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to meet you wherever you are. We'd love to walk with you as far as the journey takes us. So would you just let us know that? Now, if you've been with us, we've been in this uh, series for a long time called the Gospel of Luke. Now, right now we're in a sub-series, meaning uh, we're kind of looking at a, a, a specific picture, uh, set of scriptures in the Gospel of Luke that we're calling I'm in. I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we get to it. But in this, in this, what, just a quick, quick update, uh, reminder, uh, the series is about the biography of Jesus' life written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a medical doctor, had a practice, probably was affluent, was very well educated, all those things. And Luke, Luke, 
was hired. So crazy, like real life. Hired by a guy named Theophilus, who we think was a, a, a wealthy Roman official. And Theophilus hires Luke to go and investigate these crazy claims that this guy made, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. Now, this was after Jesus had declared that he was God. This was after Jesus was brutally murdered. And this was after Jesus came back to life. Same power that conquered the grave, then started living in his followers. And over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the first century, crazy things happened. And the, the movement of the gospel just took off. And so Theophilus hires Luke to go, hey, is it true? Is that story true? Should I put my allegiance not into Caesar? Should I put my hope not into my resume or my job or my power or my influence or my things? Should I, not, should I put my resume in something bigger than that? Hey, Luke, would you go and investigate? So Luke spends years, as I tell you, if not a decade, and he goes and does all the research. This is a doctoral level research. He goes and reads all the documents he can. He goes and listens to all the oral accounts he can. And even better than that, he goes and sits with all the eyewitnesses. That would have been his first, the first century apostles. That would be all the people. That would be Mary, Jesus' mother, the shepherds who the angels appeared to. And he goes and he puts together this master's thesis, right? And then he says in Luke chapter 1, he writes all these things so that we can have certainty of the things that we've been taught. So as we looked at the chaos of this world, he goes, man, we certainly would love to cling to something that's true. And so can we have certainty? And the things we're taught. So this is really neat. I've been walking with Jesus a long time. This is going to help firm up that foundation. If you're brand new to the faith, Luke actually wrote it, this whole, whole gospel, for a guy who didn't believe any of these things yet. And so he writes this whole biography about Jesus' life. 2,000 years later, we still get to read it. Real people in history. So what we say is it's both timeless and timely. It was timely. Specifically for Theophilus in that moment, it was timely. And it's timeless, meaning 2,000 years, God knew that today we would open up these scriptures, crazy, and read the, this very passage. So when we look at this as God's real, true word to us, and if you don't believe it, would you just go, God, 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 if this is true, would you speak to me? Would you just have the courage to do that? And so that's what we've been studying. And here's kind of the big idea of the whole series. It's so, so profound. The thing that Luke writes about, the thing that Jesus talks about and teaches about, and the thing that's covered 92 different times in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so four different biographies about Jesus' life, is this, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. What's interesting is Jesus didn't do a lot of talking telling you to clean up your sin. They do a lot of talking telling you to behave or give up your money. What he talked about the most was that there is a kingdom that he came to establish. In fact, Jesus' cousin, before Jesus ever speaks any words to people and teaches them these words, right? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, showed up and said, repent, meaning change the way you think, for the kingdom of God is so near. And so the big idea of the next two and a half years of sermons is this, that there really is a kingdom there really is the kingdom of God. There really is a king and a kingdom. And what you've been told maybe is one day if you do the right things or the wrong things or pray the right prayers, right, say the right things or just believe the right things, one day when you die, you'll get to go to that kingdom. But the big aha of the gospel of Luke is that's not how it works. Now, yes, you'll get to experience the kingdom then. But the reality is you and I get to experience the kingdom of God today. And so here's the big idea. I've got two of them just in case uh, you, you know, get bored, get distracted. Here's what it is. It's time, you and I. That's if you're a brand new Christian, been in a while. It is time for you and I to start living like Jesus is living through us. You know why? Because he is. 
You might not believe it yet. You might not understand it yet. And I'm getting feedback going, yeah, I believe that. I want to get in the kingdom of God. No, tell me how to live it. Finally, 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 after, you know, June to now, seven, eight months of teaching, finally we're going to actually put some feet to this living in the kingdom. In fact, I'm going to bring some folks up on stage and go, here's some people trying to live like the kingdom is here now and that Jesus is living through them. You know why? Because Jesus is. Then it's time for us to start letting our light shine so people can see our good work and glorify our Father in heaven. So here's the second part of the big idea, and you might not like it. You might want to argue with it, but I have the microphone. It's not really fair, but here it is. There's really only two reasons. This is very reductionistic. I get it, and there's probably some nuances, and you can email me. I'd be happy to have more uh, discourse on it. But it seems like there's really only two reasons to do good in our world. Only two. Very reductionistic. Either because you believe you're already great, or you want to be, or you believe Jesus really is great. Right? Let me, let me read you something from the Gospel of Matthew, a, a different passage, and this really, really neat story called the Sermon on the Mount where basically Jesus is going, hey, the kingdom of God is being ushered in and the way by which you access it is through faith in me. And he gave this beautiful sermon, right? On how if you really believe that I am God and I am God's son and I am the Messiah, here's what your life would look like. Towards the, you know, in Matthew chapter five, one of the, like the, the starting point of this, uh, this presentation of this sermon, this is what he says, Matthew five thirteen through 16. Let me read it's on the screens. You, those of you who follow Jesus, are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, those of you who believe this, those of you who walk with Jesus, the church, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. In the same way, I'm sorry, instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, hear this. Let your light shine before men. Live in the kingdom of God. Live as though Jesus is living through you because he is. Let your light so shine before men, before others, so that they, see this, may see your good works. Now watch this and give glory to their Father in heaven. In other words, as you do these things, the reason you're doing things is because Jesus is actually living through you. And because you believe he's great, as you serve others, as you let your light shine, you're not the one who gets the credit. It's not about your greatness. People see your good work. And what will they do? They'll glorify your Father in heaven. We have work to do. And it's time to live in the kingdom. So we're going to figure out how to do it today. So... Today is the time that we live like Jesus is living through us because he really is. Seems to be only two reasons that people want to do good in the world. Either it's because they believe they're already great or they want to make themselves great. Or because they believe Jesus really is great. And boy, am I going to take the next 25, 30 minutes right here to try to convince you that he really is great. Got it? That's what we're going to do. So here goes. Let me remind you, last week, uh, Christian, oh, in such a beautiful way, what a great, great gift. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, I just took off a week. It just makes sense that you would hear it from other voices and that I wouldn't get in these patterns where I just work, 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 work. And so I asked Christian about a month ago if he would teach. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll teach. Great gift. Wanted him to use those gifts for you. You, you. you experience those gifts. But he also is still in the middle of trying to figure out all of our tech stuff and leading worship for us. And last weekend there was a high school formal 
for our high school ministry. It's a big event on Friday night. And then on Sunday afternoon, there was a middle school event at Sky Zone Trampoline Park, and he was back over there. So I think he worked like 75 hours just in the weekend. It's bad math, but worked so hard. So as you see him, celebrate him, give him a high five. He has great gifts, and you saw him last week. And so what we saw, really, really interesting, is this moment of the transfiguration, right? This is where we kind of argued that you should be in community because Jesus was in community, and boy, if we could see his God sees if you could see him. Like, how do we see him in that way? And so Jesus decides, as Christian told you, to let people in. And he challenged you all to let people in. And the reason being is that we're working through this gospel. We're also paying attention to some really neat things that happen um, throughout history in terms of how these movements of the gospel get started. There's this guy named Steve Addison. He wrote a book called Movements. And he studied all the great movements in scriptures, all the great movements throughout the history of the world. So he looked at the first century movement, the one that would have gotten this gospel from Luke. He looked at uh, the Reformation. He looked at the different revivals that happened here in the United States and Great Britain. And he kind of acknowledged and he looked at what's going on in China and all over Asia right now, in Iran. Those of you who are at the IF gathering yesterday, you know about Iran. You see what God's doing, and all these kind of movements all kind of have five things in common. There's a real white-hot faith, meaning they actually encountered Jesus. All oh, do I hope that happens for us, right? And they really believed that Jesus was Lord, and the same power that conquered the grave lives in him. So they, they had white-hot faith. They had a real commitment to the cause. Right? They, they were willing to lean in and do whatever is necessary. We saw two weeks ago where we talked about where Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to really experience life needs to take up their cross and follow me. And one of the things that it said was, you have to, Jesus told us is that we have to deny ourselves. And one of the things that's really interesting about that, and when we think about denying ourselves, what, what you and I probably think about is, how do we deny ourselves from the pleasures of this world, right? How do we deny ourselves from joy and hope and happiness? The reality is I don't think Jesus is telling you that you have to not have any fun or enjoy life because he enjoyed life. Not have any parties. He enjoyed a party, right? And so uh, as we think about denying ourselves, what Jesus is really telling us is there is this inner narrative that we've heard forever, that we're not good, that we have shame, that we have to work to perform that all these different things, that there is no hope. And what we have to do is we have to tell that narrative that is not true. Because the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. That is not too, tr true. That is not who I am. Jesus has taken up residence in my life. So he tells us you have to deny yourself and follow him. And then last week, we saw this idea that there is this, a community of Christians, right? You see on the first 12 followers, and Jesus even invites three into even a deeper level of commitment. Every movement throughout the history of the world, they had real commitment to the cause, real white hype faith, and they actually had community that other people longed for. And I would just argue there are a lot of people all over this world right now looking for community and our church, the church, should be a place where people are welcoming and gracious and meeting each other's needs. That people go, I'm not even sure about that Jesus yet, but I'm certainly interested in that kind of community, right? And so today, finally, 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 we're going to get to the fourth part, which really is about how do we actually live into the kingdom. And so we're going to look at, look at rapid mobilization. This is what it looks like when Jesus enters people's life. And it's not that you're waiting for the church pastor or the church to get its organization together and then tell you what to do next. No, no, no. Jesus lives through you. So now all of a sudden, we're all ministers of the gospel, that the way that the gospel goes to places, the way that people experience hope from Jesus is actually because you take Jesus 
everywhere you go. So we're going to see how this plays out today. So let me read it to you. We're in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 37. And let me just read one verse and I have some comments. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. Okay? So Jesus, remember last week, if you uh, were with us, uh, uh, Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. He invites Moses and Elijah, who are long dead, kind of into the community, and they see something glorious, just something so beautiful and so glorious. So Jesus invites a few people to have this mountaintop experience, which some of you have had, and you're going, well, I want more of those. And the reality is they come back down the mountain. We always come back down the mountain. That's where the work is done. Yes, there's these glorious moments we get to experience Jesus, but the work is done in the valley. Right, and so they come down, and as they come down, there is a crowd already there. Now watch this, verse 38. And behold, and behold, so this means pay attention. A man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Hey, you got to, Jesus, there's something wrong, literally. So they, these guys have just had this mountaintop experience. And as they come back down the mountain, there is pain and sorrow and grief that meets them. There is this weird juxtaposition, God in all of his glory and our world in all of his brokenness. Verse 39. And behold, this is the second time. Second time you see the word behold in two verses. This means would you really, really pay attention to this? Would you really, really pause and consider this? And behold, a spirit seizes him. So this guy's going, Jesus, would you please listen? A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. Sorry, behold, yeah. And and behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. And will hardly leave him. And so we talked about a few weeks back that there really is evil in this world. And, you know, one of the things that I just kind of offered as a possibility is many of us have some opinions about what's going on in our world. And there's lots of conspiracy theories from, you know, you got Beyonce Knowles and other people kind of at the top of some kind of weird Illuminati kind of, you know, doing the puppeteering and uh, there is this kind of idea that there's this Marxist group and they're all in some corner kind of, you know, coming up with this plan to, some of you think, just to completely wreck America. And then there's this other right-wing group kind of going to figure out how do we do this insurrection, right? Regardless where you are, you have some opinions about the brokenness of our world, but all of them kind of lead to this conspiracy that somewhere higher up is actually a group of people that are meeting to come up with the plans for the brokenness of our world to destroy it, to whatever that is. And what I just offered is, what if, what if there's not actually some little small group running it? But you go, but there's so much stuff going on, it certainly seems like there's, uh, you know, conspiring. Well, what if there really is an enemy and there really is an evil one who is leading and manipulating and tempting and guiding a bunch of people in a bunch of different areas? to bring evil into our world, right? I don't have to convince you there's evil. You don't have to be a Christian to believe there's evil. There's evil in this world. The question is, is there any hope? And if so, what do we do about it? So is that something we kind of take hold of? Do we fix it, right? And so what you see here is you see this boy living in deep, real 
torment, right? And I told you, sometimes we deal with this idea that it's our mind, and so we've got to fix our mind with new principles, or it's our body. So we've got to fix our body with more medicine. But there's the other part that no one seems to be looking at, which is our soul, which never leaves you. It's the part that laughs at night. It's the part that felt that pain, as we talked about Mother's Day. And it will never, ever leave you. And that soul, that soul for this little boy is being tormented to the point where it's overflowing out of his soul into his mind and into his body. So people are trying to fix his mind and body. But a layer deeper was this boy and his being and who he was and his identity all wrapped up in God saying, this is my son, this is my child. I'm enthralled with him. And there's real pain. And we see an advocate in the Father going, I need you to fix my son. I need you to do something. And what's so interesting, so you see the pain. And what's so messed up in this is that we just saw this beautiful moment in God and all of his glory. And now we come back down the mountain and we see all the pain in the world. And you've had that experience probably after Sunday. So you're going, I just want to stay longer. I just want to sing more. And then we go out into the world. And by Tuesday, we're just defeated. We go back to the same habits where we listen to our same pundits three hours every night telling us what to think and how to feel. Reading the same posts on Facebook, scrolling through the same things. And by Tuesday, Wednesday, we're just exhausted. Again, so these guys, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus in all of his glory. And they come back down and they're like, yep, still just as broken. I thought you were going to fix these things. And what's interesting is in the 1500s, Raphael, the painter, uh, he was so intrigued by this passage this one right here. This passage in comparison to the transfiguration passage. He was so intrigued by it that he actually uh, painted the juxtaposition of it. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? If God's so good, why is there so much pain in the world? Jesus is God. We just saw that. But then there's this mess here. So I just want you to see this painting that he started in 1516. Here it is. That's it in all of its glory. So you see the top. That's the transfiguration. You see Moses and Elijah and Peter, James and John. And they are basking in his glory and then you see where it just kind of turns dark and you see kind of the pain and sorry in fact i want you to here's the picture of just the transfiguration now where you pull that up so you see it here there is just this glory and this beauty and these guys are peter james john they're just looking and they are just consumed by it beautiful story mountaintop now look at the next picture then you see the evil the brokenness you see the kid with the shirt off and all sorts of pain. And you see that? Bunch of people with angry faces. You see what else you see? Pointing fingers. See, that's what happens in our broken world. Nobody knows what to do, and they point the fingers. And so Raphael was like this. He gave us this picture to go, what in the world is this? This is the juxtaposition of our broken life. God is really good, and our world is really bad. So what do we do about it? Do we just live in the muck and the mire? Now watch what happens next. Very next verse. Watch what it says. Dad is still talking, and I begged your disciples to cast it out. You see the fingers? I begged. I asked for it. I filled out a comment card, right? But they could not. So they're going, we need help. Our world is broken. Hey, church, you're supposed to do something. Why didn't you fix that? Josh, that was your job, right? Whatever it is, all these different things, they're going, hey, we, we asked the disciples. We invited them in, and they couldn't fix it, Right? Jesus, you're so special, and these are your followers. These are like your soldiers. Shouldn't they have been able to defeat this battle? And I understand it. Boy, I feel the pain of that dad. You would too. The helplessness of it. To be able to do nothing, and you keep hearing about someone who can do something about it. And so he hears Jesus is close, but Jesus is just out in the mountain being worshipped right now. 
and there's pain and there's sorrow. This is the guy saying, I'm tired of hearing about your thoughts and prayers. Right? I want to see action. And your disciples, they are impotent. They cannot do this. And watch what Jesus does. Verse 41. Really, really interesting. And Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. So I want you to see this. Jesus feels it as well. Do you see that? You see in his words, his frustration. And some think this is really condemning, like how dare you kind of thing. And a lot of scholars don't know who he's talking to. Is he talking to the dad of making the wrong accusations? Or is he talking to the disciples for not getting the job done? Or is he talking to the whole crowd for their murmuring and what I would just offer? And this is just my opinion here, but I think, I think it's correct. So I think he's talking to all of them. And I think it's timeless. Meaning he's talking to you and me. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. See this, he's going, hey, the way that you live in the kingdom of God is through faith. And here's how it plays out. You hear about it. You've heard the word of Christ come out. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of Christ. And as you've thought about it, you've literally repented. You go, there's a better way. I want to live into the kingdom. And the way that you live in it, you start to speak this. You celebrate who Jesus is. You speak his name. You speak life in the places, right? The power of life and death is in the tongue is what Solomon tells us in Proverbs. You speak it and you start to see it. And he goes, what happened? We've just seen so much. You just saw me. Peter, James, John, you just saw this. Like, guys, you've seen me bring dead people back to life. Lame people walk. Blind people see. Hungry people be fed. The poor people be freed. And here we are again. And so that word faithless means exactly what it means. Oh, where have you lost your faith? This isn't even misplaced faith. See, this misplaced faith is when you put it into something else like yourself. This is a hopelessness. This is, there is no faith. I can't trust me. I can't trust my government. I can't trust a politician. I can't trust my teachers to fix it. This is a hopelessness. And he's going, hey, why are you so hopeless? And they're going, you look around? Jesus, this little boy's demon-possessed. It certainly seems like there's no hope. And that twisted generation, uh, pretty interesting. That word, that word literally means like, uh, a distorted picture, right? It's like there's a way that the picture should look. Oh, and this the whole picture is just distorted. So it's going, this faithless, this hopeless generation who sees nothing but our broken world. And again, again, you go, well, look at the world. It is broken, right? That's what we get. And he's going, oh, no, 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 no. You got to see it as I see it, right? Jesus is like, the same power that conquered the grave is now available to you. We don't look at the world as it's hopeless. We look at it with the opportunities to usher in his kingdom. We look at the darkness and go, there's only one solution for darkness. Light. You don't scream at the darkness and tell it just to brighten up. How do you dispel darkness? There's just one way. You usher in light. Right? Light and darkness cannot coexist. And by the way, the, the church building in here isn't where we need to come do our light convention. It's great that we worship Jesus, but this isn't the place that we need all the light. It's in the darkness. And Jesus is going, oh, you faithless and twisted generation. How long am I going to be with you? In other words, how long is this going to take? We got work to do, guys. There's this urgency in this. He's going, how long? There are people who are hungry. 
There are babies who are orphans. There are addicts who are not in recovery. There are people everywhere in a ton of pain. Oh, you faithless and twisted generation. You have lost your faith and therefore lost your hope. How long? Disciples, do you not remember when I split you up in pairs and sent you out and you had all that power? What happened? Then he goes this, bring your son here. While it was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. This is still an ugly picture, guys. This little bitty boy or this adolescent boy is just being destroyed right now. Like adolescents are being destroyed right now. Right, uh, my, I, I was talking to my family a couple weeks back, and one of my nieces goes to an incredible school, just an incredible, world-renowned school in, in Georgia. And, I mean, the parents, you know, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a four-year high school education, boarding the whole deal where, I mean, this is the cream of the crop, the best of the best schools. And over the last year, seven suicides. Seven Seven teenagers have taken their life, right? And so we just look at our world, and what we do is we look, and we can't really think about it, because when we think about it, there's just this despair. And Jesus is going, no, 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 up here, pay attention. This is not a time to despair, right? This is not a time that we go and we hide underneath the covers. There is work to be done in faithless and twisted generation. You've got to see as I see. And they're do as I do, right? Like, no, 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 there's still hope. And you're the hope. We're the hope. We don't look at the suicides and just grieve. We grieve and go, the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. We're the hope. So he brings them, still convulsed, but Jesus, I love this, rebuked the unclean spirit. And that word rebuke just means assigns value to it. That's all it means. He just looked at the spirit and go, you're a zero. Just a zero. You have no power. You have no authority over my beloved. That's it. When I, where I'm invited in, where I'm invited in, Daddy just invited me in. I'm coming all the way in. Got it? And I, this is so profound to me and so brand new to me that I am just convinced, and I prayed at the beginning, part of our issue is we haven't actually invited Jesus into it. Right? He's going, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let's invite him in. Let's invite his authority into our life. He gets invited in. He tells that spirit it is a zero. It has no power, and he was healed. He was made whole. Healed the boy. <laughs> and they gave him back to his father. In a moment, what you see is you see this radical reversal in an instant. Verse 43, and they were all astonished at the majesty. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples. So pay attention to this. So, so, so important. So, it says as a result of that, they were astonished and they were marveling. You see this. So what are they doing there? They are so caught up in God's glory. They're no longer like, well, there's evil spirits. They're no longer like, oh, our world is so broken. You see this? In this moment, where did their eyes go? Where did their focus go? On God's glory and God's majesty. That he is good. Right, that he is loving. And so as they're, as they're looking at that, and they're marveling that, something interesting happens. Jesus is going to speak to them. 
You see, some of our problems are we're so focused on the concerns and the, and the problems that we're not just stopping and marveling at how good God is. We're not really worshiping him. We're not telling him he has all the power and all the authority and we worship and adore him, right? We are not hearing from God because we are not worshiping God, right? And so our focus has to go towards Jesus and as this focus happens, they're marveled and astonished. Jesus is going to speak to them. Oh, and may we be marveling and astonished at who Jesus is. And he says, he shares something. He says, let these words sink in to your ears. Pay attention. The Son of Man, that's him talking about himself and his humanity. Son of God shows his divinity. The Son of Man, meaning he is there in the flesh. He is about to be delivered into the hands of men. It's on. That's what he's saying. Hey, you, he asked the question, how long is it going to be? And then he answers the question. He goes, hey, it's about to get started. I'm about to push that ignition switch. Verse 45, but they did not understand. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. So it says that it was concealed. So you go, whoa, what's Jesus doing? They're just not ready. Right? They're just not ready for what's about to happen. They're not ready for his death, and they're not ready for his resurrection. And because what would happen is he goes, I'm going to die at that point. They really, really, really start to freak out. Now, this is really interesting because uh, right before he's about to get arrested, there's this beautiful Last Supper and Last Discourse. And in that Last Discourse, Jesus said, hey, 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 I want you to know something. You're not my servants. You're my friends. And he says this, because, because, because a servant wouldn't know what's going on, but a friend does. And everything that the Father has made known to me, I've made known to you. Hey guys, I'm revealing it all now. There is a plan, and the plan is for you to be empowered by me to bring hope and healing to this world. Right? He finally invites them in. At this point, they're not ready, and they're going, oh, should we ask? We ask? I don't ask. They're afraid. I don't understand what he mean delivered. And so they get, get, you know, they were just worshiping. Remember that? Worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. Everything was good. They get this new feedback, and all of a sudden, they shut down and what do they do? They, their natural propensity is the same thing as us. They go back to self-centeredness, right? The same way that the evil one tempted Adam is going, hey, you, God doesn't want you to eat from that fruit because you, he doesn't want you to be like him, right? That focus on either I can do good because Jesus is great or I can do good so I can make myself great. I want to be great. So watch what happens. Verse 46, right in the middle of this moment, they have literally just seen a, a boy who was broken and life was miserable, made whole. Jesus then gives them teaching, and look where they go. An argument arose among them to which was the greatest. In an instant, they're back to their own self-centered focus, right? I mean, it's all they've ever known. It's all we've ever known is self-preservation. It's all we've ever known. It's always been about our safety, our comfort, our security, our happiness. And so when we don't understand the world, we get right back to that, right? We lean in, and so they start arguing about their whoever is the greatest, but Jesus... Watch this. Knowing the reasoning of their hearts, he took a child and put him by his side. This is really, really strange. You don't usually invite kids into the adult world and Hebrew culture there. Up until 12, I mean, they loved them, but didn't have any kind of power, authority, or value. And so when Jesus does this, they're paying attention. So they invite him in, put him by his side. And he says this. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So you want in on this? You receive this child. When you receive this child, you receive me. When you receive me, you receive God. All of it. So child you receive. You care for, you love. You, as you receive it, you receive me. As you receive me, you receive the kingdom. 
and the king, right? Whoever receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. You know, a couple different passages in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew captures the same story, and he says that Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbled himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Mark, same story, Mark captures even more of the conversation where he says, if anyone be first, he must be last and servant of all. So a lot going on here. He's going, hey, you got to be like a child. What does that mean? I was actually talking to Briggs, my, my oldest is 12, uh, driving to basketball practices on Wednesday, and I just was asking him some questions. And going, Briggs, do you ever worry about whether or not we're going to pay the mortgage? <laughs> no. Like, do you even know how much the mortgage is? No. Have you ever worried about whether or not you're going to have food? Never. Well, Dad, sometimes I worry that it's not the food I like, right? Have you ever worried about any of those things? Have you ever worried whether you would turn the faucet and there'd be water on, right? Even turn the other faucet and there'd be hot water, right? Like literally, he, he lives in a house that is close to 10, 15 feet from drinkable water, which is not normal in this world. He uses, we use the bathroom in clean, drinkable water. It's nuts, right? Not even think about those things, right? Why? Because he doesn't have to. He's a child. He shouldn't think about those things. It's not appropriate for him to be thinking about those things. It's not his job to worry about our finances, right? He is a child. He should get to participate in life as a child. One day he'll be an adult, but he's not now, right? My daughters don't need to think about those things and shouldn't think about those things. Why? Because someone else has it under control. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, here's the deal. You're thinking about the things that you shouldn't be thinking about. You're trying to fix the things that you shouldn't be trying to fix. It's me. It's my power. Your first step is coming to me, not coming to whether or not you're great. Right? You go to me. Right, Dad? You've got to hear this. And by the way, it's Mother's Day, which I think every mom would go, yep, absolutely. Dad, you've got to hear this. We think our number one priority is to be provider of our family. Your number one priority in life, hear me, hear me, for your whole family, is to model this. You're not the provider. Jesus is. Faith in Jesus. Living for Jesus. Serving like Jesus, right? That is your job, not just paying the mortgage. Leading your family to go, God is God and he is good and he will come through and we can trust him. So Jesus goes, you want that? Here's how you get into that. You act like a child. You trust your heavenly father. And he says this. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow, uh, he does not follow with us. So hey, I understand you're talking about this, but here's the deal. We saw someone down the road. He was doing something in your name, but he's not one of us. How dare him do that? He should be following us. I thought we were the leaders, right? I thought we were your 12. How did that guy circumvent us to do that? Hey, they're doing something. By the way, when it says here, casting out demons in your name, meaning it was productive. They were actually doing something that works. And he's going, that's not really right, right? Doesn't it need to go through us? No, 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 no. This is it, right? This is the, no. It is my power, not your power. It's that people are going to live like I'm living through them because I am, and that's where the work's going to happen. And he says this, but Jesus said to them, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Here's what this means. You are so preoccupied and pointing the fingers about what everybody else is doing wrong that you're forgetting to do personally what is right. 
Got it? Like we're so busy pointing fingers. Going, Here's the deal. If they're not in your way, if they're not fighting against you, they're not against you. That's something they should do. So what's going to happen is I want you to hear how people are following Jesus and living like Jesus is living through them. But your, your, your step isn't going, well, I would do it differently. Well, that's not the way I would do it. Here's what I would offer. No, 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 no. You hear from God and you go do what he says. You can do it. We can help. So he's saying, hey, hey, disciples, there's so much work to be done. This is not a place to be faithless. This is not a place to be twisted. This is a place to go to Jesus is God, and he is king. And we should live like he is living through us because he's really great. And as we serve him, the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. As we proclaim this and speak it, we're going to bring it about. Not because you have any power. Not because it's for your greatness. But because Jesus wants to live through you. And so what I want you to see is I want you to hear from folks that aren't me, right? That are actually trying to go, Jesus lives in us. And if Jesus lives in us, then we got to think about our children. we got to think about the children of the world. Jesus is living in us, then we got to participate by letting our light shine so people not can see us, but they can glorify their Father in heaven. So Mike and Laura Wooden are going to come up. If you guys want to come join me here. Mike, I got you some fresh-cut melons because I know... That would be good for you. Here you go. Fresh cut melons for y'all and some sparkling water. It's right at room temperature, so it should be good for you. Maybe a little bit above. Okay, and here you go. Let me open these for you. Oh, oh there it is. Okay. <laughs> you don't want the melons, do you? Here you go. There you go. Okay. So, here's what I want you to do. You are getting something. Yeah, thank you. Sorry about that. Slippery. Yeah, this, so that's actually uh, cantaloupe. I added a little extra. Um, so, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I'll say a couple things. I love the woodens with my whole heart. I love you guys. Mike, um, Mike has been an elder at our church. And uh, the elders basically make sure I don't wreck this thing. And that's a really hard job. It's just a really hard job, right? And so, we have been in ditches together. We've cried together. We've wrestled together. We've disagreed together. Just been part of our journey. And yet I've faithfully watched them try to figure out um, what Jesus is doing and how you do it. And so to me, it just made sense that if we're going to actually watch people, uh, encourage people to go, go, Jesus is in us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Then it makes sense that you would hear some of people's stories. There's two things happen here. One, I want you to pray for and support and celebrate Mike and Laura. But at the same time, I want you to go, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus wants to do the same thing in me and what he's called me to do. And what's really beautiful in Revelation 12, it says that the enemy is defeated by a couple things. The blood of the lamb, really, really important. That Jesus' death covers us and the word of people's testimony. So what we are doing right in this second is we are dispelling and defeating darkness by declaring the goodness of God in our lives. So, uh, thanks for joining us. And so, a couple different things that are going on for them that I just want to talk about, and we'll talk about them in this order. Um, Mike and Laura have been on a long journey, a journey for adoption that I frankly thought was over, guys. I just thought, I, I was, it was painful to watch and all those things, and I just thought, okay, I guess that's not what it is. And then all of a sudden, wow, what is the Lord doing? So you got that piece. So I, wanna, I want y'all to talk a little bit about that. And then Mike right now is um, running for the Avon Grove School Board, right? So, you've seen the signs. So, uh, I just want you to hear why, right? I mean, it's just more that of going, hey, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'll tell you who I'd vote for. It's Mike, but I'm not telling you who to vote for in this. I can't. It's his sign's in my yard, but I'm in Oxford, so I can't. So this isn't, this isn't a campaign thing. Don't really care about that piece. 
We want to talk about the greatness of God and why we would serve him and hope you get inspired by it. So a couple things real quick. Uh, first one's on adoption. Okay, so you both are quite busy, uh, like really busy. Like in uh, the pandemic probably made, uh, have made you busier. There's a lot of people that count on y'all, uh, both in our world, but also in both of your very high-functioning, high-responsibility jobs with people who, who count on you. And so you got that. You got uh, Ellie and Natalie. You got two little girls already that are seven, not, nine and six. Oh, close. Almost nine and five. Okay, gotcha. Um, so you got that, and now all of a sudden you just welcome a little one. Why? Let me take this one. Okay. Um, so I think when Laura and I were, you know, very early on in our relationship, um, we always believed that, uh, I think it says in James, that, you know, religion that is pure is caring for orphans and widows. And um, we didn't really fully understand what that meant, but I think for us it meant that um, we would invest our time um, and our energies into organizations that supported orphan care, I think, in particular for us. And um, I'm not sure at the time we ever really thought that it would entail adoption. Um, and so um, as we navigated marriage, um, it was clear that, you know, we wanted children. We wanted our, our own children. And so we, we went down that route, and our first daughter, Natalie, was born. And um, couple years later we said well I think think we're ready to have another one you know we want to have another child and um, I, I think you know all through that time we, we always talked about adoption and admired and respected the people who who went down that path uh, but they're, again, they're all really great people yeah that's right <laughs> um, and so for us it was I, I wasn't sure I don't I'm not sure if we were there yet um, but but really, it was something that kind of kept weighing on our hearts. The intrigue was there. The admiration was there. Um, and so um, we, after our first daughter was born, we had two pregnancy losses, uh, miscarriages. And that really, really just threw us for a painful loop, um, a painful time in our marriage. Um, and and it, was, it was just so hard that we couldn't imagine going through that again, um, that we just thought that adoption was, was, the next, was the next path for us. And so um, we decided to fill out some applications with Bethany Christian Services, and um, we started that journey, um, got pregnant again with our uh, middle child now, Ellie, and, um, you know, and, yeah, it's funny to say that. Um, and, and so it, um, you know, so we kind of embarked on that adoption, but then we had Ellie, and so we're like, well, oh, I'm not sure if this is is meant to be now and maybe what's God telling us that we maybe aren't supposed to adopt and and so um had Ellie and then um I guess a couple of years later we just the adoption kind of itch started resurfacing again um and we thought it was time to really really embrace it um we we did a lot of soul searching praying and and ultimately felt that's where God was leading us so um <laughs> like Josh mentioned, you know, we, we, I was, I think, very arrogant. Um, I don't know why, uh, thinking that as soon as we fill out this application, we're probably going to have a baby in, you know, three to six months. Um, you know, easy peasy, right? Um, sign some papers, uh, write a few checks, and we're going to have a baby. Um, but lo and behold, it took over three years. And um, after the third year, it came time to renew uh, for the fourth year. 
and, and we just said, we don't, we don't have it in us. There's been some opportunities that we thought God was going to connect us with. Um, a couple that were like really, really close. We actually um, had an instance where we just got our paperwork signed because this opportunity was like happening really, really fast. We said, oh man, it's meant to be. It happened like literally like 10 minutes before it was supposed to. And, and it just fell through. It didn't materialize. So, um, so yeah, after, after that third year, um, we said, you know what? We've learned a lot. Um, I don't think God's pulling us in this direction. And so uh, we, we just told the agency we're not going to renew. And then uh, a month or so later, um, this was in, in the fall, last fall, this past fall, uh, somebody reached out to Laura on Facebook. And they said, I've seen you post about adoption before. Uh, I know a child who needs a home. Are you guys still in that journey? Facebook so, redemption. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> So yeah, I, I'd love to hear like that. So for three years, like, were you frustrated with God? Were you confused by God? No, that's what the question I was asking. I'm just curious to that. Like, what was that like? Was it, I know that's got to be painful yes. and confusing. Yeah, we were. Oh. I was. Um, I think I focus a lot on what is God doing? What's he doing? And when is he going to do it? The what and the when, right? That's mm-hmm. what I want to know. And instead, it was a repeated exercise in, well, who is God? Who is he? What is his character? What do we know about him because of what the Bible says and because of how the Holy Spirit speaks to us? Or I think you said, like, speaking life, right? The life, the way that people in our church community and the body of Christ speak life into, into us. And so that became really valuable. Rather than understanding exactly what he's doing um, or getting a, a full, fully written out planner from the heavenly planner <laughs> company, right? Yeah. Like, which all of us would probably love to have. Um, it was more about, well, who is God? What is his heart? Mm-hmm. And his heart is for children. His heart is for rescuing babies. His heart is for breaking cycles of addiction. And so if we weren't going to get a baby in our family, then we were for sure going to pour out in other ways. And maybe it just wasn't going to look like what we thought it would look like. So, obviously, you know, you're looking back on it. Uh, like, God's providential. He sees those things. And you go back and go, well, any other kid isn't yeah. your boy. Right? And so, I just think we've got to see that. And we've got to see that uh, God's providence is God sees all things and he's working in all things. And even if he seems like he's doing something small, he never is. He never is. So, would you, tra- would you change anything about the plan now? No, but I, I feel like it's important for everybody to know that we were not brave in this. Like, mm-hmm. we are no braver than you are. Um, I look back on it now, and I wish I had been brave, but we, we really weren't. I mean, we were filled with fear. You know where fear comes from, right? Mm-hmm. You know who that comes from. Um, but it was really just about taking small steps and being obedient to what we think God was putting right in front of us at any given moment. And then you do that, and it's like there's something really beautiful waiting for you. Case in point, sleeping over there, you know. Yeah. So um, there's even one moment where we got John's medical records before we met him. It was late at night, and um, Mike and I read them, and we were like, whoa, no, 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 no. We, this, is, this is too much. We can't do this. We've been very clear about what we can handle. Mm. This is not, we can't do it. And I got the verse alert on my phone that I get every night. It was literally that verse in James. Uh to look after the widows and the orphans. So it's like, okay. <laughs> so we go back tomorrow and we just take small steps. So no, I would not change a thing, but I, I would encourage people to um, not wait until you feel brave. You know, it's obedience over bravery. So let me switch gears a little bit. Um, I always thought Mike would be a great mayor. I always say that. No, I've always said Mike would be a great mayor, maybe a governor. Laura would be a great president. It's always what I've just said. It's just... 
when I see their work. So school board, um, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't weigh too much. I mean, I do. I love politics. I read about them. I'm very interested in them. And I, you know, I pay attention. I see the big barn with all the different stuff. And I saw your name up on that barn. And uh, so you are, you're walking into a place that seems pretty unknown and pretty uncertain. And so, again, with busy schedules, why do you think this was the right time? Yeah, so um, I think it was back in, in probably um, February, January, February, um, knew that there was, you know, still a, a, a chance to, to, to jump in there. I uh, wasn't sure when we were, if we were supposed to do that, um, just with everything going on. Um, John's adoption, our son John, um, his adoption was, you know, we we're still going through through the process of that, but um, we had two, two girls. Um, my oldest daughter, was, um, you know, she's in third grade, and um, I have a younger one who's going to be in kindergarten in the fall, and so we have skin in the game, right, and and there was some clarity, um, and maybe some just lack of insight and and confusion about certain things going on, Um, and and Josh, you mentioned, and in Raphael's painting, too, that it was easy for us to point fingers, like, that. that's actually kind of where where we started, um, you know, criticizing, and then um, even got to the point where we were considering, you know, is public school the option for us? Should we start to look at private schools? And um, ultimately, we, we, Laura and I did some soul search, and we said, you know what, it's, it's time to, to step up and to not criticize, um, to try to make a difference. You know, our, our two daughters, this was before, before our adoption with John, but they have a lot of years of schooling left. Like, let's jump in. Um, I wanted to serve. I wanted to help uh, rather than criticize and point a finger. So, so right now, it's under that. No, um, obviously, faith is a big deal in that, which is complicated because faith doesn't seem to be, I, mean, I know there is some, but it, it seems to be really absent in the political realm right now. And so I think you've been pretty blunt about that. Even I've heard your statement about the barn and going, well, my favorite person in the world was born in one, yeah. right? And so... Um, how does, like, how do you think and how does letting your light shine in that world, what does it look like? Because I think that's something we're all trying to figure out, public versus private. Do, do we segregate more or do we lean in more? Like, what, what does it look like to let your light shine in that, in that camp? Yeah, I think for me it's, it's just that um, every, every child is a child of God. Um, and in the schools, you know, locally or, or nationally or, or, or what have you, there just seems to be too much focus on the wrong areas, um, politics and not, not transparency, uh, politics and not really the focus on our children. I think the focus is there, but every single child in our district deserves an opportunity for success. Every single child deserves um, treatment in a way that is representative of how Jesus would tr- treat our children. So I think for me going into that, it's just giving, giving these kids a, a fair shot and trying to do my best to serve them in a way that would honor God and please God. Um, I certainly didn't take the decision light, lightly. There was a lot of prayer, uh, a lot of prayerful consideration, and um, I just want to bring that uh, alongside me as well. So in all this, how can we pray and support you? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I think God, I'll turn, I'm going to let you take this one too, but um, in, uh, in Corinthians... I think it's Corinthians that uh, there's a verse that people tend to say God will not give us more than we can bear Um, but I actually I think that's misunderstood to a certain extent because God does give us more than we can bear but it's only through community 
of our church and and uh, leaning in on Jesus that we're able to bear it. So um, I think I think that's just important for me uh, as we go through this, thinking that there's a lot going on. We, you know, we when we made, when we weren't sure whether to throw our hat into this, knowing that this adoption could or not could go through or not go through, um, and so we, we couldn't do one contingent on the other. We kind of had to jump in both ways. Mm-hmm. So we saw, thought, God, if you're going to give us this, we need to lean in on you. We need to lean in on our church community to help us too. So I'm going to let you. Um, I think there are other people like us who are fostering or adopting yeah. right now. So I would just, I'm, I'm learning a little bit now that I'm on the other side sort of of this process to just be reaching out and seeing how we can love and support those people Um, I'm really proud of all of you I I know that it's scary but I'm really proud of all of you and I think there's a lot of blessing in store for you so if we as a church body can celebrate that I think we are but everything we can do to celebrate the people that are are stepping out in faith in that way that would be great and then just with regard to the um, school board election we just want people to experience something different when they talk to us or when they interact with us right like who whether he gets on the board or not it would be really great if people just experienced a fresh air a breath of fresh air not because mike is great but because the god we serve is really great (laughs) i think you're pretty great (laughs) um yeah so yeah so just that maybe they would see jesus in how we talk and how we interact and how we treat the people that are nasty to us so i'm uh, learning a new muscle when people talk about all the time people ask me if i'll pray and i'll go yeah i'll write it down and I'm trying to not do that. I'm going, nope, let's just pray right now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray for Mike and Laura. And I'm going to place my hands on them. And you can pray where you are. And we're going to ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Here's what's really neat. Throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, there would be times of commissioning where people would be sent out. They'd be sent out. And guess what would happen before they're sent out? They'd be prayed for. So we're asking the Lord to take his light through Mike and the school board. We're asking the Lord to allow Mike and Laura to be leaders in what we're doing in terms of orphans and uh, foster care and adoption. And so would you pray with me as I pray? Uh, Lord, you know it. I love the woodens. And you love them immeasurably more than I ever could. And um, you really are great. And so God, I pray specifically that they would be wide open conduits. That your grace and your love and your light and your mercy would flow so freely and so abundantly in them and through them. And so, God, your scripture tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I pray, Lord, you would fill their hearts with joy and peace and love and compassion. And, God, that you would allow them, as you tell us in John 10, God, to live fully alive. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but not you, Jesus. You bring full life. And so, God, would you pour out your resources on them so that they could be so generous and gracious as they are to others. And God, we pray specifically right now for John. Levi, Lord, we pray that you would fill him with your love and grace. That God, whatever those medical issues are, God, that they are rebuked at a level zero in the name of Jesus. They have no rights. They have no authority because you have authority over the wooden's lives. So God, would you bring healing and joy and we celebrate now the salvation that will one come, day come to his mind and heart as he declares that you are Lord and that your God, our God, your Father raised you from the dead, Jesus. So I thank you for the woodens and I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead them, guide them in power and literally God, the same power 
that conquered the grave would live in and through them. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Mike and Laura. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. So the band's going to come up. And uh, let, me, let me close with this as they come up. Um, that painting that I showed you at the beginning was started in 1516. Raphael started painting it. Um, then he died before it was finished. And his apprentice finished it. Got the melons, good. His apprentice finished it. Someone else who saw the vision, saw the plan, grabbed the paintbrush. See where I'm going here. Jesus set and established a kingdom and a vision for this world. And the vision he had was for the kingdom of heaven to invade every nook and cranny of this. And then he died. Then he came back to life, gave us his power and authority, and then sitting at the right hand of the Father now. And he's given us the paintbrush. So we have work to do. But where does it start? It starts with worshiping him. And so we're going to start right here with just singing and celebrating that God is king and Lord. It's not our life to live. It's not our war to fight. It is all his. It's all his greatness. It's all for his glory. And so would we wrap this up by declaring God's goodness and his grace. And then we listen to him as he speaks to us. So would you join me as we sing?
in this sermon that Matthew passage stuck out to me so I have a benediction that I want to send you all off with uh, reflecting on that passage but before I do so I just want to remind everyone happy Mother's Day if you visit clcfamily.church slash moms we have a free coupon for coffee so please right here in the big yellow mug so please check out that page uh, just a gift to you for all that you do because we know you do a lot and so let me send you all off with this benediction imperfect suspicious confused and broken yet redeemed forgiven, loved, and cared for. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We bear the power of the Spirit. And so let us shine our light before others that they may see our good deeds and not us, and that they may glorify the King of glory, our Father in heaven. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We will see you next week. We will come
trying now to pick up the pieces again Just to find them all fall further in And do I even trust myself? Do I even trust? Oh, Lord, will you say Oh, 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 oh,